You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast. This episode is presented by John Jacob. Historical Fiction is a new album from soprano Grace Davidson and composer, saxophonist and producer Christian Forshaw. It roots Baroque and Renaissance music in a contemporary setting for soprano, saxophone and organ. Forshaw and Davidson's work highlights the appetite by new audiences for contemporary and traditional sound worlds. And it is for me, as a listener at least, something of the pandemic. First, because it conjures up a distance world and experience, the pragmatic response to mitigations, and also something of the insular experience, the introverted experience, that many of us had during lockdown. And second, because it was about a week or so before the first UK lockdown began that I was speaking to Christian Forshaw about this project during a podcast recording in central London about a different project. That podcast never made it, because the Holy Week Festival at St John Smith Square was inevitably cancelled. Historical fiction is available from the 17th of September 2021. In this podcast, you'll hear excerpts from it, in addition to insights into how Christian and Grace worked together during the past 14 months on this very album. The way I work, um, you know, as a composer, arranger, is quite unconventional in, in the classical sense of the word word. I, I work much more like a, a pop writer, a pop producer, in that I need to hear things before I set them in stone. For me, it's it, music exists orally before it's written down for me. I mean, there are still pieces on, on this album that I haven't notated yet. It's, it's all been from my head and from my ear. There are lines that Grace has sung which have been notated, but um, I think when we set about this album, we didn't know what it was going to sound like. We didn't know what it was going to be. The, the, the narrative uh, began to evolve once we'd started recording, and I had this real luxury. I mean, it's something that pop musicians do all the time. They'll record a guide track and then they'll start to piece things around the guide track. And classical musicians never really get the chance to do that, but... No no. So, hello. Hi. How nice nice to see you you both. Uh, The the thing I have to say, first of all, is that uh, this is almost like bookending a pandemic yeah. because <laughs> because when I saw you last, Christian, we were in a church. Yes, yeah, St. Bart's, wasn't it? Yes, with Nigel, mm. and you talked about making bread. 
Yeah, that's right. Oh. Sourdough. That was yeah. in the, the sourdough revolution. Yeah. <laughs> Dutch oven bread. Yeah. Yeah. You remember now, don't I you? I do. I have to tell you, that's the only element of that interview I ended up using. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Oh, yeah, because uh, it came up in the uh, prelim, didn't <laughs> yeah, it? In the yeah. preview. Uh, yeah. And uh, that just seems a world away now. Yeah, well, that was for a whole project, which was all systems go, and then suddenly the brakes went on. But happily, it's been recorded now. That's the Drop Slow Tears program with Tenebrae. And it's been recorded now, and we're doing the first performance at the Cumnet Trist Festival in October. So when were you, you know, when we were talking before, when was it meant that to be That was supposed there? to be part of the Holy Week Festival at St John Smith Square. The oh first, you know, the last year's one. And uh, it got pulled just with days to go. I, I mean, think, it was, yeah. when we spoke, it was only a few weeks before yeah. the, uh, the lockdown started. Because I remember posting the video about the bread making, which I thought was... That's one right. of the interesting, not the most, yeah. one of the interesting <laughs> things in the interview. Uh, and uh, I remember people saying to me then, stop touching your beard, John, because that was what people were saying at the beginning. Oh, you um, mustn't touch your face. Yeah, you must yeah. And now I am still touching my face. <laughs> and I'm no still alive. Beard. I've You've got no beard now. No. <laughs> uh, what about you, Grace? What have you been doing over the past 14 months? Over <laughs> the past 14 months? Well, actually, I've, I've become, you know, I've been lucky. I, I've done a lot of recording work. I've been in and out of studios. We're here today. I've I've been sort of recording albums and film music. That's that's been my sort of main source of work, really, because of the live um, performances being cancelled and postponed. Um, if I if everything goes to plan, then I'm sort of back on tour from October. I hope and things are starting to pick up a bit. But it's I'm almost a bit nervous to go away now. I've got so used to being at home. This is the kind of I'm probably not alone in feeling that. How long was the period? Um, when you sort of stop, when everything shut down and then things started up again for you? Because um, presumably you stepped into recording studios again. Yeah, I did. That We were lucky with that because um, they were able to um, work in quite a COVID-safe way. So I think it was about May that I started to go back because we had that funny period where we were all trapped in our homes kind mm. of making recordings on our phones and mm. I was certainly feeling very frustrated by that because I'm not technical at all. Um, and then, yeah, May, I drove into London. It was like Christmas Day, I remember. Mm. Drove into the, I think it was Air Lindhurst, and parked my car, and then all the doors were kind of opened for you. You weren't allowed to touch anything, and you had your mask on. And, but actually, we're still operating very much in that way now, which is fine by me, because... I found coming into the pub here today mm. just a little bit bewildering, and similarly so going into a pub yesterday, because I couldn't quite work out whether, am I meant to have a mask on or not? I, know. I don't know. And I, and I now find myself in a position where... Actually, to hell with it! I'll just put my mask on yeah. anyway, just to be sure. And I didn't, I didn't really expect behaviours to adjust quite so rapidly, or new habits to form quite so rapidly. Have you noticed the same thing? Yeah, I mean, just wandering around central London today, it was half the people seemed to just be, that's it, pandemic is over, get on with things, and half the people still being really cautious and I'm, I'm sort of somewhere in between the two I'm, as soon as the street gets busy I put a mask on and I'm on transport and everything like that but I'm quite enjoying the freedom of you know life getting back to something like normality. And where have you both been in terms of uh, 
I mean, you're a vocalist, Grace, and you mm. sing in vocal groups, and obviously there was a really bizarre rule about choirs and mm. amateur choirs in particular. Um, I wonder where you both are in terms of your view on the mitigations that have been imposed on musicians like yourself. Well, I think it's been important, actually. Um, I know from my husband's experience running a group, you know, if, if um, they don't want to be responsible for somebody catching it, they, their responsibility has been to protect everyone and give them work at the same time. And if, if having the work involves standing two metres apart then so be it. I'm absolutely fine with that, to be honest. I, I don't want to be told I have to stay at home because the person next to me has to isolate or something and they were that little bit close. So I th- we're actually just carrying on as normal. I mean, musicians are, are not back to normal because we're, we're still operating under kind of tight COVID rules, really. Mm. Nothing's changed. I mean, we're all having to sing miles apart from each other. Which you're, is... you're, you're saying all of that in an extremely calm way and, and an adult grown-up <laughs> way. And I suppose what I'm basically trying to... I'm prodding you in order to get an emotional reaction. My, you know, I come back from Verbier where I saw, obviously, musicians who are tested every day, yeah. uh, who are not distanced, and you can really? hear the difference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're two to a desk, um, and... They're not distanced, and you can hear the difference in the performance. It's so, energe- oh, you know, yes. it's really, really energetic, tight because they and can really feel tight. Each other. Yeah, there is that um, osmosis, especially with singers. I mean, I, I'm sure it's the same with string players and music and other uh, other instrumentalists. But singers, there's that moment where you, you you breathe in and you can hear your partner's breath, and you're you're a team, you know. And when you're two meters apart, it's so weird. I mean. We've all, we've all had to get used to it, but it's it's not normal. You can't make real music. Will it return? I mean, it must I return, really surely. I really hope so. I just don't know when, but... I mean, Nigel has a recording that he wants to make of Christmas music, and he's adamant he's not doing that until it's absolutely safe to be standing tight-knit, shoulder-to-shoulder, because you can't can't do it really, really well otherwise. I'm not sensing any anger, so maybe I'll... <laughs> <laughs> okay. You take a swing of beer. Well... <laughs> Uh, what about you, Christian? Are you are you similarly sort of calm and grown up about it all? Or um, maybe if I prod you, you, you... I couldn't help but noticing the um, double standard uh, between sports and the way they've been allowed to resume and concerts. Uh, just watching the proms, uh, you know, choirs still standing metres apart... It does well, look ridiculous. It does. Yeah. It really I mean, does. that first night of the problems with the um, Vaughan Williams serenade to music, that should be 16 solo singers. Mm. And so it did look odd having only four or five of them out front. Was that a COVID-related thing? or yes. what was it? Right, yeah, yeah, because they couldn't space 16 singers along the front of the stage. Yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous when yeah. you're jeopardising the most In glorious piece of music <laughs> as yeah. well. You know, that yeah. I mean, it wasn't a bad performance. It was lovely, but I just it wasn't kind of authentic somehow, no. was it? So you got angry about sport, which well, suggests that I, you're, not, I, I you're not a football I, fan. No, I thoroughly enjoyed watching uh, the football and we watched it as a family, but it's just odd seeing crowds bellowing their lungs out and having a, an amazing time hugging each other when our industry has been required to you know, uphold these incredibly stringent standards and... Uh, it just feels it's one rule for them and another for us. And do you th- so this this is interesting for me because I assumed that the reason 
that, say for example, when we went, when the freelance musicians were protesting in Parliament Square, which is an amazing event, yeah. uh, uh, the, the information that came to the press release was quite explicit. You know, don't, don't, don't invade anybody else's space. Please come along with a mask and be mm. terribly polite about yeah. it. And I just, my assumption was, was that, that the arts world was just being extremely compliant. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, because that was a reflection of the arts world, but maybe what you're saying is that actually the measures were more stringent than they were for sports. Well, certainly in the since the Euros, um, it seems to have been almost a complete release. You know, a, a, a capacity Wembley Stadium, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, and we're told we can't have more than 180 people in like a cathedral or something to come and see. You know, nice masked, polite people who sit facing <laughs> forward. Are you suggesting? <laughs> Our audiences are generally speaking, wow, you know, order her another beer. Pretty sort of restrained, you know. Oh yeah, man, it's it's not fair. So how have you both? Uh, you're not the only musicians I've asked this, but I know how I've dealt with it, and I've not dealt with it very well, and I'm not a musician. But how have you managed yourselves amidst all of that confusion and annoyance? Well, I, I'm a firm believer that some of the greatest music ever created has come out of restrictions it's come out of of, you know less than ideal circumstances and it's almost as if the restrictions actually propel you into creating being more creative and having to deal with things in a different way and it's something that composers often uh, put on themselves a, a self-given restriction in a way because when you're having to work within confines it can actually lead to a much more free-thinking way of doing things. It's like when people get the latest piece of um, computer music software which has got every single sound under the sun available to you, um, you know, from drum kits, electric guitars right through to the full symphonic library they've got access to all of that and actually it restricts your creativity because it's it's too much, it's too too broad, so certainly for us in the album that we've just made um, Historical Fiction, it's come out of having to work within a particular set of circumstances and that actually has <coughs> become, you know, a real motivating factor in the way we, in the way we made that music, the way we brought it to life. That's I think true. it was a luxury. I mean, the main thing for that was there was a sort of time that we were presented with, which initially was was such a depressing thing. You know, we were all so distraught that we'd lost our work. But once we'd sort of come to terms with that, then it, it opened up this door of wow, we've got the time to just do something that we want to do, that, mm. that we want to do. That doesn't happen very often as musicians. You're normally just sort of, you know, traipsing from job to job. How long did that... Um, I'm, I've got an image of you with heavy, heavy shopping bags yeah. traipsing from one, one, from one job to job. Well, suitcases. <laughs> to all lo- yeah, that, yeah. that uh, was me. How, how long did that transition from, oh, my God, I've lost everything, to, oh, actually... This could be positive. Long, yeah, how long did that take for you? Um... Well, I suppose it was it was late March when we first went to, into lockdown, wasn't it? And it was so unreal somehow that I almost didn't believe it. And then it was April, and losing all the, you know, sort of 15 Matthew Passions in Europe just sort of wiped out the diary, which was, you know, everything. Um, it was a sort of backbone of my year almost. I suppose, yeah, after about sort of 
four or six weeks, I thought, I've got, we've got to do something anyway, otherwise we're all going to be, you know, we're going to have a mental health crisis yeah. on our hands apart from anything else. And we'd done that one track um, together, The Eternal Source of Light. And then it just sort of evolved quite naturally, didn't it? We mm-hmm. didn't say, right, let's do an album. We just sort of thought, oh, I've got some time. Can I was, come the eternal, over was, was The Eternal Source of Light the one with the, co- with the corridor graphic? Um, yes. 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 Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay, yes. It was made quite famous. Um, well, it's supposed to be sung by a countertenor, a low countertenor, and a baroque trumpet, so that that the trumpet is exactly an octave above. But you're not a countertenor. But I'm not a trumpet. No. <laughs> but we think it works very nicely, and we we put it into a very warm key, right where it sat comfortably for both of us. Um, and you can really hear the text and dedicate a lot to the text, whereas the, a low countertenor or a soprano stuck up the octave, you don't really hear the words. So did so you start off working remotely? Or? Yeah, we yeah. did. Well, we'd, we'd actually made... The arrangement of that piece had been done the year previously. We'd, we'd done a performance in St George's Hanover Square, which was Handel's Church, and it's a piece that Grace has known for years. She had it performed at her wedding and we'd always had it in mind that we should adapt it for our group so we'd made a a video of it in 2019 which we just put out on YouTube but we always had it in mind that that was the starting point for a, a full album. project of lockdown or was it just something that was made possible because of it the latter yeah we had more time and then and also i mean i felt like i was in good voice ironically when you had the creative Mm -hmm. space as well and so it just it just literally turned out to be a very positive and natural thing that evolved it it Mm -hmm. wasn't planned sometimes with recordings you know that there's that pressure that you see them in your diary and you go oh am i going to be all right look what i'm doing beforehand and look what i'm doing after and we didn't have any of those um, things to inhibit us. Actually, it was nice. No. And the way the way I work, um, you know, as a composer or arranger, is quite unconventional in in the classical sense of the world, word. I, I work much more like a a pop writer, a pop producer, in that I need to hear things before I set them in stone. There are some some arrangers can just sit down with blank manuscript and write the arrangement and then turn up with it at the recording session and that's it, you've got an hour and a half, three hours or whatever to record it. Whereas for me, it's it, music exists orally before it's written down for me. I mean, there are still pieces on, on this album that I haven't notated yet. It's, it's all been from my head and from my ear. There are lines that Grace has sung which have been notated, but... Um, when, it suggests when, that you don't really have control issues. Uh, um, <laughs> I, no, I, I think when we set about this album, we didn't know what it was going to sound like. We didn't know what it was going to be. The, the, the narrative uh, began to evolve once we'd started recording. And I had this real luxury. I mean, it's something that pop musicians do all the time. They'll record a guide track 
and then they'll start to piece things around the guide track. And classical musicians never really get the chance to do that. But There's no time or money. <laughs> no, but Grace, living so close by and able to come and work in my studio, it meant that I could have her voice and I could hear it and pretty close to what the final version was going to So a guide, sound like. a guide track being almost like a rough sketch. Yeah, yeah Something exactly. that you can yeah. work to and but won't necessarily experiment. be in the, in the final the final mix. No, no. Something a painter would do, you know, they'll do preliminary paintings, getting the, the, the form, the shape of things, the colours before they then set about doing the final thing and that's what we did with, with this album. I mean that I've got to say that terrifies me Does the it? idea that you can go into a, that you go into a project and not really know necessarily what the what the fixed outcome oh, will be gosh. it's just like well, oh my god well, well, when op- will it ever end <laughs> the opposite terrifies me if, to, you know t- turning up at Abbey Road with a set of parts ready to go and that, that's it you've got three hours to record yeah. what is terrifying about that then Let's dig into that. That you don't have the control of what they do with it. You just go bang, 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 you whisk through everything twice. You're just part of a machine. And then it's, you know, and then it's out of your hands as well. We're we're both of us speaking for you, Christian. Yeah, Yeah. let let, let him answer the question. Let's analyse you. Well, I suppose it depends where the centre of your creative energy takes place. So for a, a composer like Elgar... The centre of his creative energy took place when he's sitting in his composition studio at the piano, like hearing these sounds in his head. And for me, it happens within the recording studio. It's hearing the sound and thinking, ah, that sound would work well with that line. And all of, all of the lines that I play, apart from handles, or, are, are pretty much improvised. Well, not in, a, in any way a jazz way, but in the way that an organist would improvise around a skeleton. And some of the things I play I can't stand and never want to hear again, and they get binned immediately. And then other things I, I listen back while I'm walking the dog and think, that, that's it, that's where, that's where it needs to go. Which, which presumably then means that you need something like a global pandemic and a lockdown in order to really do your, your well, well, most immersive you, work. You either need that or you need the technology. The money. <laughs> uh, the, well, you need to have the technology yourself and the skills at your fingertips, which is something I've been working at production since I was at college. You know, it's something I've honed in, refining my microphone setup, re- refining the way I use the equipment, and that's constantly evolving. So that, for me, is as much a part of my music as my saxophone playing, really. It's the, um, it's the ability to use the studio and, and understand how to... So maybe that's where the control is. Yeah. You exercise control over technology. Yeah, I find it it very hard to let other people do that because it's mine. It's my my sound. You seem to be tapping your fingers on the table. (laughs) (laughs) I've allowed other people to master it and you know give suggestions over the final <laughs> mix it anyway, it <laughs> is there a lock on studio <laughs> yes I think there is yeah. no. uh, so what is that like for you to work because obviously that's a different um, that's a different mindset isn't it yeah I mean my role is is, is slightly different because I'm obviously not the te- I'm not technical I don't do any of that I come in and I'm very much just 
the voice. Are you singing on demand? Is that, um, is that what you're saying? Well, no, I mean, I, Christian doesn't make me do anything I feel uncomfortable <laughs> with or anything. <laughs> I good. come in, it's you know, this was why this, this was such a lovely collaboration because Baroque, the Baroque element is, is kind of mine, you know, mm. and I introduced Christian to some of the repertoire and said, how about this, how about that? And then he chose some of the bits that he also kind of connected with. Um, and I'm, and I just sang my part, really. I mean, I do the easy part. He's done all the hard work of actually mastering it and engineering it and finding the right balance and all those things. So, But the beauty was that, that we just had all the time to do this and we'd listen to stuff and I'd say, oh, I don't like that bit and I don't like that bit. You know, I'd mostly be commenting on myself. I was never not saying <laughs> yeah. I didn't like his playing or something. And then, you know, we, then there was a cut-off point, wasn't there, one day. I think I wrote to you and I said, I'm a bit flat. And he said, right, this is your last chance. You, can, <laughs> you can't keep... I don't want to hear any more tuning issues. Today it's going to be, you know... Because we had to self-manage... For the love of God, it's well, 2 o'clock in the morning. Well, exactly. And then that's the only difficulty when you do your own album, is that you do have to have a point where you say, this is it, this is the end. It's going to the, you know, it's going to the master's. And the keys that we tried, I mean... That was so weird, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, we've ended up in, like, G-flat major for, for pieces, and it was just because like we tried... Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> really weird. We, we tried four or five keys around there, and then you just hit a sweet spot, which is where Grace's voice just naturally lands and sits for that song, and the text just comes alive, and... We, we both stopped a couple of times and just said, yeah, that's it. And yeah. I'm, I'm there <laughs> in trying to transpose at sight on this keyboard. We've got some outtakes, actually, of me trying to accompany one of these guide tracks with me transposing into G-flat major. <laughs> what a crazy <laughs> And it just sounds like something off Les Dawson or something. And, and then I burst into hysterics yeah, and I'm like, well, Christian, I'm trying to sing. <laughs> <laughs> so did you... Um, my assumption was that there were some tracks that you did record at the same time on location. Yeah, we, uh, yeah. well, the final versions... I mean, the studio work was all... Well and good for sketches, oh, okay. but right, then right. Um, we have access to this glorious little church right in the middle of nowhere, absolutely isolated, and the lovely people there have allowed us access to that church as as often as we liked, really. And um, which is in Cambridgeshire. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, right. Yeah, and it's surrounded by all this these Flemish um, wooden carvings. It's it's and it's gorgeous sound in there, and we just love working in there so that's where we made final um, versions of things I have listened to some of it but not all of it I find it difficult to listen to because it is because I know that it's both of you and because in my head the last time I saw you was shortly before all of this started right. <laughs> and because I'd heard some tracks and because it's haunting and so it's almost like a soundtrack to a year that I never, as an audience member, I never want to experience again. I'm terribly sorry, I realise we're meant to be selling the album. Um, uh, so I find it haunting. And, and one of the reasons I find it haunting is because voice and saxophone sometimes blend. And I find that quite scary. Right. And, you know, scary in a good... No, no, I know. Uh, but scary in a good way. Because mm. it's just like, oh, I don't know where the line is. I find that really difficult. And also, there are times when I listen to the saxophone and think, that's a trumpet, isn't it? 
I'm sure it's a trumpet. It sounds like a trumpet to me. Is that, that because you're associating it with, with the piece that it no. would have been? No. no, no. when I hear it, I just think that there is there are moments where, where the blending works so very well that I'm not quite sure where the boundaries are or what the instrument mm. is. <laughs> I don't know. That's not a criticism at all. No, no. I think that's just like, how the hell did you do that? Was that I the mean, intention? Well, that, I hope that, it's the intention. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. This, I mean, that's the saxophone is the ultimate hybrid. It's exactly what Adolf Sax was getting at. It's a, a woodwind instrument which is made of brass and it can achieve the biggest spectrum of sounds of any of the woodwind instruments and, and you know, arguably the brass family without mutes. And um, the way I've always approached the instrument has been trying to release all of my vocal apparatus I'm not a good singer at all Grace will vouch for that but the, the chambers in my head space the, the way I approach the phrasing of a line I've always tried to make it sound like, like a voice and when I first worked with Grace r- way back in 2004 and I heard that sound and it just seemed to sit next to my sound it, you know this you, straight, you heard Grace's sound yeah right. she was, Grace was booked for the recording of my second album Renouncement and she ended up stepping up to record the solos and the first thing I heard her sing solo was um, Dowland's None But Me and she sight read it on the first um, afternoon and uh, it, I was in the control room and it just was yeah that that's the voice that's and we've worked together ever since do then. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, I do. Did you? I mean, the way he tells it, it it's, it's just very, almost like you just arrived. It's tears just to my <laughs> eyes. Yeah, no, it was, it was lovely. It was, you know, I didn't know exactly what I was... I was just booked as a sort of chorus member. One of my colleagues had um, was putting together a little choir for Christian, and then she wasn't very well, so... Um, I was about to go home. I remember it was in, Hi- in Highgate, and it was raining. And they said, "Oh, actually, can you stay and, and do it?" And it was lovely. Yeah, it was just it just sort of slotted into place, didn't it? You had to cancel your hair appointment. Oh, didn't did you? I? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> I don't remember that. But I mean, a lot of the repertoire on this album, as well, of course, is so um, we, we sort of pass lines backwards and forwards. It's very um, you imitate what I do, and I imitate what, and that's kind of appealing and seemed really appropriate to put an album.
thing we had real fun with were these interludes. So every piece is preceded by a, a sort of reconstructed um, composition based around fragments of the piece that's about to come. So I've taken you know, melodic fragments, um, little harmonic motifs, or even the saxophone lines that I play. Grace sings, like, for example, just leading into the Silver Swan. Um, there's a, a little waltz that I wrote where Grace sings the saxophone lines which are about to be heard in, in the Silver Swan. And we had real fun with those, actually, just making almost these cinematic landscapes over very still harmony. And um, it was lovely just to create a sort of dialogue because otherwise a pe- an album like this, which is lots of four-minute tracks, can end up sounding like your favourite Baroque and Renaissance hits. And it was very important to us that the whole album had some sort of flow and coherence to it. And that's where this whole idea of a, an imagined state occasion came in, really, where we just could imagine each of these pieces introducing a different dignitary or, or, or whatever. So I think there's another reason, I'm reminded there's another reason why it's sort of, <clears throat> musically, it's so potent for 2020, which is my impression of 2020, has been the resurgence of stripped-down orchestrations, you know, piano transcriptions, Mm -hmm. vocal lines, solo, uh, endless solo piano pieces, which I I can possibly hear any more reflection or introspection from the keyboard anymore. But but I think that it's been a year of necessarily stripped-down scores, which is possibly why... Hearing just two vocals. You're both looking at me in a slightly confused no, way. I've got crap. Worried. Oh. <laughs> no, really, have you? Oh, my God, me. Oh, you're managing that very well. Boredom. No, I think it's because I've gone from 20 days of COVID lockdown to doing 18,000 steps oh, no, no, in one no, afternoon. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um, you need to like, do that with your legs. How did you. Um, how do you manage your day to day sort of. With a project like this, I'm used to working nine to five, for example. Yeah. Although my partner would probably say you work until ten o'clock each night. <laughs> but uh, how does one make sure that you do the allotted number of hours and no more when you're working on a project? Oh well, which you is don't. You, you just go with whatever feels right for that day. Until I mean, you keep singing until you sound really rubbish, and then you think I need to stop now and go home. <laughs> or you keep playing until it's not getting any better, don't you? I mean, I... yeah, my my. Dream and dream time of the day is getting up at five in the morning, <sighs> going to the studio and doing four hours' work before the family get going. That's my That's time where I, I just love it. When you say work, though, you see the cynical side of me thinks, yeah, but how do you make sure that you're not fannying around? Um, it's just, or is if, that just if, something if, that you don't you, do? If you ask me to do that in the afternoon, that's when I would fanny around. Right. But five o'clock in the morning, I just work oh. so with such clarity. You play then as well. Yeah, because do you have your own? Oh, because you've got a studio with a lock on the door, so yeah, you know, yeah. It's away. It's, it's, it's sort of five meters away from any other building, so no one can hear me. And um, yeah. So do you just wake up? Yeah, I mean, I obviously was. that's how it works, isn't it? But but you wake up alert. You, you do don't it need in your coffee. Pajamas, isn't yeah, you get we yeah. need detail. Well, Both of us need detail. <laughs> Often, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, enough now. Uh, uh, yeah. Right, unshaven. Just go and and get get on with it. And uh, 
it's, all it's right. Best time. Uh, what about you, Grace? What's I your morning shed your light? Sing at five in the morning. No way. But you have a shed at the bottom of your garden. I know that much. Um, from we Nigel do as well. have a shed, yes. Um, but I don't go there and sing particularly, unless I'm well. When I've recorded. Unless I'm being paid. Unless I'm being paid. <laughs> I did. I recorded. We recorded a whole album of Hildegard as yeah. well. There. I, I've just done that with Kindly Christians. Recorded that for me. So that will be coming out next year. Um, and so that's been quite useful. But no, I mean my my schedule isn't structured. I mean. I'm, the difficulty was actually finding the motivation to sort of work at home for no reason, you know, this year, because normally there's so much work going on that that's enough, and when you come home, you can get mm. on with your life mm. and have a rest from the singing. But, yeah, finding reasons to sing was, was definitely hard, and I don't, I don't want to practice every day. I'm not that type of singer, you know. No, I think that's very um, honest and refreshing to so hear. I, yeah, but although I did feel like I was in, I've been in really good voice this year. Actually, you know, all those years where I've sort of schlepped across the world doing concerts and generally feeling like you know I'm tired all the time. I, I haven't had that vocal tiredness. It's been when great. is your best time of the day? Um, my best time of the day, I, I like being in a recording studio in a nice dark church in the evening. Right. Uh, in that kind of around 8.30 in the evening after the break and you've had a cup of tea and, and everything's just settled and, and you don't feel like you're too up close with anyone and, and you can just let go and sing. Do you ever rehearse in your pyjamas? Um, no. Not really. No. Well, warm up. Slightly warm judgmental. Up. I'm sure I warm up in my pyjamas. <laughs> but um, no, I'm, I haven't got pictures. I, I, mean, I get home and I've sort of put my tracksuit bottoms on. I've been in those most most of this year, really. That's I, I, I have a bit of a crisis it's only because, it's getting only dressed because now. Christian revealed that. Uh, <laughs> but he but, does. Yeah. Well, I asked him. <laughs> <laughs> what have you most enjoyed about this album, please? About this album? Yeah. Um... Having full control of it. <laughs> yes. Well, I've had, I've had full control over all the albums. I've just discovering and taking these gems, which I've often known this. I've known this music for a long time, but being able to strip it down to, in, in my eyes, its purest elements, the the simplest harmonies, the uh, the tempos that allow the songs to to speak and then just having that lovely freedom of creativity of making the album that we want to make rather than the album anyone else wants us to make it's that's been a pleasure for me what about you well for me it's been really lovely to to work with somebody i know very well and i feel very comfortable singing with christian so even if i you know sing a disgusting note or something i can just say right scrap that and that feeling of just really letting go and just singing. I feel like I can do my best singing in front of Christian because I feel that relaxed. Like trust. And so there's yeah, so there's there's a really nice collaboration there, which is just it's just natural. It's just fine, you know. And, and if I woke up one morning and really didn't feel like doing it, I can ring him and say, you know, what? I don't feel like singing today. So, but you you can't do that in other scenarios because there's a church booked and a, a conductor booked and an orchestra booked, but and an audience and an audience or whatever <laughs> yeah. it might be exactly. But this this has given real sort of real freedom it's nice mm. uh, what are your performing plans your live in real oh, life great. actual yeah. audience performing plan. have you yeah so we're, yeah, we're doing a mini tour around September October we're doing the official album launch is at Temple Church in London is that the 
21st of September, is it possibly? It's uh, 28th of September. Oh, okay. Yeah. So actually, it's the launch yeah. concert, but before then, we are doing concert before then. On the 24th, we're in Beverly Minster. Not Beverly Minster, the church. Uh, this church. is going Mary's really church. well. I'm sure the album comes out on the 21st of September. It though, comes out on the 17th. Oh, none of us have got so any of the dates <laughs> right, have really we? Well. <laughs> Christian's getting his phone out. 17th is the release of the album. 24th is Beverly. That's right. 28th is Temple. And then the 2nd of October is Come Not, Come Not Triste. That's right, James McMillan's festival. Um, oh, okay. And then I've got to be in Germany the next morning, so I haven't worked that one out. But right, it's maybe you that telling will be Christian. <laughs> right. um, so are you looking forward to that? Are you? Is that sort of like trepidation? Like, I mean, obviously you performed in front of audiences yeah, since we lockdown. Had, we you? had one magical little performance right in the middle of... August last year when we were invited by these lovely people to go and perform for their daughter's wedding and they asked for Eternal Source and we wouldn't normally do that kind of thing but we just thought wouldn't it be lovely to just you know perform together and we did and it, it just felt magical to did anybody to, cry and they wept they did uh, they, they all did they cry. Really made them cry moved, good yeah. good and it was random they'd just seen us on YouTube and she just messaged and that's we, right so we thought oh well, you never know with, with those kind of inquiries what's one of a family weird. are they <laughs> they were so charming and kind and wow. generous and, we, and then we sort of had a glass of champagne we sort of rather ended up in their wedding photos because they because it was only them and us <laughs> wasn't it are you saying that you crowbarred your way no not at all <laughs> we literally I felt embarrassed I was like come on we should go because because they were only allowed five it's people Christian at their wedding and there was us and the organ the funny organist that we didn't know kind of literally there with the bride and groom it was a bit strange but what a special day for them yes they well it was and it was the first time anyone had made any live music for so long yeah and it just goes to show that the power of performance has got nothing to do with the quantity of the people there were mm. there were eight people there in mm. that church and the the connection we were we were looking in their eyes you know as we were playing and it felt so intimate and so personal and i can't wait to do that again um, you know with the, the full program in the in the first lockdown in uh, se6 in fordale road in camford which is where i live mm-hmm. uh, uh, our next door neighbor's daughter celebrated her sixth or seventh birthday or something and their parents uh I was going to say ordered a violinist to come and play outside their front door uh, but I don't know where they found him um, but he just turned up in his car he grabbed his violin and he stood stood on the doorstep and he played and, and everybody everybody in the street came out and I remember watching that thinking and I can feel it now I felt really like oh my god it's just it's lovely lovely uh, and he kept asking for um, and would he get any requests he kept saying obviously six year old girl completely overwhelmed by what was going on didn't know what the instrument was uh, and I said, I'll play some Bach, because it's the only thing I could think of. <laughs> and as soon as he started playing, people just cried. Oh, so he was a proper violinist? Yeah, he wasn't not, like a, not like a blow-up one. Yeah, no, he, well, no, he was <laughs> near on the tube. Um, but. Yeah, no, he was, he was as in his classic musician. Yeah. Um, and, and even then, after just a couple of months, you know, if you'd seen somebody playing on the street, it would be like, OK, have 50p. Mm. Um and here it was, like you say, it was just a handful of people outside, terrible acoustics, nobody really knew what was going on, but it's the most beautiful thing I'd ever heard. Yeah. Well, that is one of the things I'm looking forward to seeing as lockdowns, you know, disappear. It's, it's seeing the fresh 
root, uh, the fresh shoots of music emerging. And that's the amazing thing about musicians is that they're so adaptable and so they're such uh, survivors. You know, the, the amount of musicians I know who've just d- learned how to do something completely different during lockdown in order to survive and, and make ends meet. But have they, will they return to music? Yeah. Um, they will? Well, a lot, I mean, the ones I know will, yeah. And just seeing how musicians adapt to these, this new landscape is going to be really exciting as well as challenging. You've been listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast presented by John Jacob. Follow Thoroughly Good on Twitter at Thoroughly Good, Thoroughly underscore good on Instagram, and Thoroughly Good Me on Facebook. The Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast is available on any half-decent podcast platform like Google or Amazon or Spotify, plus some others you might not have heard of. 